It is a constant healing process. I think I will always be healing from my abortion. But the more I talk about it, the more I find freedom and the more I realize just how much God loves me. Um, When we talk about things and we bring them into the light, the enemy no longer has a hold on us, right? Because we can dispel his lies with truth. Welcome back to Candid Conversations. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Parents, today's Candid Conversations podcast is not suitable for younger audiences. Please listen to this episode without little ears around. You may choose to share portions of this interview with your older children, but please listen to it first. Today we will take a personal look at abortion. The media has highlighted women who celebrate abortion as a stepping stone to a better life. However, my conversation today is with a woman who has personally experienced an abortion and wants to share the full truth. Bree Tuttle was just 20 years old when she became pregnant and chose to have an abortion. She grew up as a Christian and self-identified as pro-life. Why, then, did she choose to have an abortion? In order to save women from making the same mistake she made, Bree is an outspoken advocate for women facing unplanned pregnancies. She believes the abortion procedure and aftermath are physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally scarring, and she is fearlessly sharing this truth today. Bree, welcome to Candid Conversations. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, good to have you with us. I want to say thank you for coming on the program and being willing to share your personal story. Mm-hmm. It's a very personal story, and so I just want to say thank you mm-hmm. uh, on behalf of myself and our team for being here. Well, I'll say the same. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, yeah, I'm sort of in awe often at my journey. Um, it's definitely God's story. It's not my own. Um, and I've been very blessed to see how God has taken literally what the locusts have eaten and restored it. Bree, as we were preparing for this episode, we had a, a phone call before, and you shared this statistic with us that one in five women have had an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were to put that in perspective, that means if, if there was a group of 100 women, 20 could have had abortions in their lifetime. It struck me just the reality of that because we don't hear that. Yeah. And so it it makes us realize, and you've made this point, the suffering in silence aspect that's taking place. So let me ask you why you have decided to step forward and make this vocal and making it public. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Jonathan, in, in preparation for today, I went back um, just through notes and journal entries um, from kind of the beginning of my healing journey. And I was struck with something that God had placed on my heart almost eight years ago now, where I really felt like he was putting a burden on me to share my story. Because in my healing process, I found that so many women that I was healing with in a post-abortion class were all struck with the same issue, which was feeling like they couldn't talk about it, that the world didn't want to hear about it. It was like, hey, we want you to get healing, but I don't want to know the details because that's kind of too much for me. And so the more and more um, I've just been and, – and it is a constant healing process. I think I will always be healing from my abortion. But the more I talk about it, 
the more I find freedom and the more I realize just how much God loves me. Um, when we talk about things and we bring them into the light, the enemy no longer has a hold on us, right? Because we can dispel his lies with truth. Um, and so that's really why. Also, some of the statistics surrounding abortion are just um, – they're so depressing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know other, how other and, else to say it. And we don't hear them. Right. Um, so, you know, one that really has struck me is that a woman that has an abortion is 300 times more likely to have a second or a third. Because at that point, when you start to push that envelope, you don't know what else to do. So you just keep repeating. Other statistics that aren't talked about is the damage that's done to a woman's body. Um, so giving birth and having a baby that's a cycle of life that God has perfectly created and hormones are produced to help the baby, to help the mother, mother the baby. And so when an abortion comes in and violently ends and disrupts that cycle of life, things go berserk in a woman's body. So she becomes 30 times more likely to, to have breast cancer, cervical cancer, ovarian cancer. She's more susceptible to promiscuity physical, mental, and, and emotional abuse of herself and allowing others to inflict it. And so we're talking about the death of a woman silently and gradually, and some of it is self-inflicted and some of it she welcomes in. Mm -hmm. And I just mm -hmm. I feel like we need to talk about that. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't mind, just for our listeners, mm -hmm. walk us a little bit through your your story, your personal testimony, mm -hmm. how you came to the saving knowledge of Christ. Sure. Um, well, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I two parents that were very um, devout and still are to this day, um, Christians, Bible-believing Christians. I was saved at an early age. And I, I think I always knew I was a believer. I always knew I was a Christian. I didn't fear losing my salvation, but I didn't really own my salvation or my relationship. And I've always been kind of a people pleaser for a variety of reasons. And so puberty sets in and you kind of figure out, hey, if you want a boy to notice you, you do things he likes to get his attention, yada, yada. And then you start pushing the envelope. And that's what happened to me is I started kind of pushing my boundaries and um, sacrificing some of my standards to be accepted. And so when you start to push those boundaries, more and more things that weren't acceptable at one point now become, yeah, okay, I'll try it. And so I found myself promiscuous in college, got pregnant in college with my college boyfriend. This part of my story is always amazing to me that God would choose this way to do it. But um, basically, um, in 1999, I became pregnant. I was set to go study abroad in Italy. And the way that Georgia state law was at that time, I could not get um, an abortion with as many weeks along as I was prior to leaving for Italy. And I just barely made the cutoff when I returned from Italy to having an abortion legally. So therefore, I had to go to Italy pregnant, spend an entire summer alone, pregnant, still contemplating abortion, being a pro-lifer and a very like open pro-lifer, and yet still sitting here contemplating this. Um, so I get home. I have the abortion. That in itself was a, a very tragic experience. And after that, there was a real sort of deadening of my spirit, and it colored everything, my choices, how I felt about life, even dreams that I had, um, some of which I thought would be dead because at this point it was sort of like no 
good man. No Christian godly man is going to want me. No, no godly women are going to want to be friends with me. And so I sort of retracted from being involved in the church. So I spent the next probably 10 years running from God and making some very poor choices. Um, fortunately, I never got involved in drugs, but I was into alcohol abuse, um, sexual abuse. Um, I was in abusive relationships. And God finally had to strip everything from me to get my attention. Um, which he did. He literally took everything away from me, everything I put value in, and brought me back to him. And so it was in 2011 that I was finally able to return back to the church, return back to a relationship with Christ, and really start owning what God meant to me, what a relationship with Christ meant to me, and letting him really fill my heart. We often don't see when God works in our lives like that, the taking away of things, mm -hmm. we think a lot of people early on will say, why? Mm -hmm. And it's only after that we see that that's actually God being gracious oh, yeah. um, in removing those temporary things that mm -hmm. we cling to and mm -hmm. then showing you the eternal things. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's such a, a beautiful biblical picture. Now, Coming back to the issue of that we're discussing today, which is abortion, can you walk us through those choices, decisions, um, share with us why you chose that path? Because your background was so opposite to that. Right. Yeah. Um, well, like I said before, you know, um, through choices to get attention from boys or what have you, I really um, started pushing limits on what I had considered no-nos, I started saying, well, you know, I'll cross that line. It'll be okay. I can still go back. But once you push those lines, you push more lines. And so the more I sort of blurred the lines of what I would and would not do, um, then abortion wasn't such an inconceivable idea. And I think, honestly, that's what a lot of women find themselves with. It's like, well, I know I said this at one point, but maybe, you know, maybe I was wrong. Um, what was the thought process mm -hmm. when you found out you were pregnant? Oh, wow. Um, so I remember going to university clinic because I was late. And um, <laughs> and she told me, hey, you have a positive pregnancy test. And I physically felt the earth stop moving. Uh, she handed me a bunch of abortion pamphlets of like different resources that were available to me in the Atlanta area. And then said, good luck or something to that effect. I honestly don't remember. And just sort of like, okay, next patient. And so what I mentioned before about being in Italy pregnant, you know, I had all this time to think about it. But the, the very first thought that went into my mind was, how could I do this? How could I be pregnant? There was almost like this vanity of me going, I'm Brie. Like, I don't do this kind of stuff. People expect better of me. How did I get here? And it was just like, no, I, I can't. And I literally felt nothing. There was just like a nothingness. I remember one of my classmates happened to run across her in the hallway, and she was like, whoa. Like, she saw something. She was like, something is wrong with you. What's wrong? And I just – I could, she was the first person I saw. I just blurted it out. You know, I still – poor thing. <laughs> she probably got a, a word vomit she didn't intend. Um, it was just this inconceivable thing happened. The thing I knew could have happened, we all know it can happen, but when it actually happens and you just, you sit there dumbfounded, the thing that to this day I wish is that somebody had just said, go talk to somebody. Take an hour. Take five minutes. 
go talk to somebody before you make any life-changing decisions. But that's not what happened. I was shoved pamphlets that said, go kill your baby, and then it'll all be fine and your life will be good again. So on the day of my abortion, I find myself still sitting there going, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? And that that day to me um, is such a hard day, and it's such an important day to discuss because there were things that happened in that clinic that nobody prepared me for. Nobody told me this is what's going to happen, and it all happened so fast. Can I just jump in here? Yeah. And you're about to share about this this really difficult situation, and I know that there's challenge in that, and I, I think you put it well in that it was extremely difficult, but it's also extremely important that you share. But I want to say that Bree's going to share some things. We talked about this offline already, but you're going to share some details about that these things are important for women who may be considering an abortion to know what happens in an abortion. But for those who are listening, we're going to share some graphic details we wouldn't normally share on this program because Bree has shared that knowing these things may have changed her decision. Uh, so, Bree, again, just as you were about to do, and I'm, mm. I'm sorry to cut you off, no, no, but, but I think it's important that people just have an awareness about where we're about to go. But, yeah. but start to walk us through that day. Yeah. Um, so they check you in just like any medical clinic checks you in. You get called to the back. They do some paperwork, take some blood. Because I was 12 weeks along, I was at the end of my first trimester, and that means that I had a, I had a pretty fully formed, developed child in my womb. And they had to dilate me in order to do the abortion. So in order to do that, though, it takes time. It takes time to dilate. And therefore, they place me in a room. Um, They use uh, surgical steel metal rods of different diameters to open a woman up. And because of how long it takes, I sat in a room by myself in a gown um, with a very fuzzy bunny-eared TV. <laughs> um, I remember Geraldo was on. I'll never forget that. Um, and I had to sit there in silence with no one to talk to and nothing being explained to me about what was happening or why for 20 to 30 minutes. And I could hear girls in the waiting room. They were crying. I could hear you know, medical equipment being moved around, but no explanation. And it was a very scary, scary moment. But about 20 minutes into this, um, the woman from the front, you know, the receptionist comes, comes back and says, hey, we need you to pay now. To which I, it, excuse me? She's like, no, I need you to come out to the front and pay. So in my surgical gown, in the compromised position that I am in, I have to go into this front room with all these girls, no women, girls, sobbing and crying to swipe a card and pay for my abortion. And then I was escorted back to the room where I waited for another 15, 20 minutes before they were ready for me. And that was just such a jarring experience because my thought was, I thought you were here to like protect me. I thought you were here to like look after me. And here I am being exposed. And I'm so uncomfortable right now. And I just wished it to go away. And I couldn't and I had to go through it. Um, so after the um, abortion was over, you know, they put you under you wake up in a recovery room. And I and I just remember waking up uncomfortable, but um, mostly numb 
and hearing a girl in the curtained off area next to me just just wailing. She was just sobbing. And I remember in that moment, there was sort of a wall that built up that said, don't you dare break down. You made this choice and you're going to own it. And I wouldn't allow myself to cry. I wouldn't allow myself to mourn. After that, everything just kind of got gray. Everything got gray in my life. Um, and there was just absence of joy from there on out. So from the time that you have this abortion to when you pursue healing, what is that timeline and what sort of takes place between those two points? Yeah. Um, so it was about 13 years from the time I had my abortion to the time that I, I finally sat down and addressed it. And in that time, it was just a seeking to fill a void that only Christ can fill, right? So a part of me had been ripped out, and I was seeking to fill it. And so I was seeking to fill it with whatever came quickest. And unfortunately, that's the case for most women who have abortions. They just look to fill the void. And I did. I did with alcohol. I did with any adventure I could get my hands on. I did it with relationships with men. I did it with anything that brought a thrill. And until um, basically 2009, in which God literally took everything away from me that I held any sort of value to and was like, it's time to stop running. Let's talk. So in early 2011, I thought, you know what? I think I should go volunteer to Crisis Pregnancy Center. I think that would be a good way for me to heal and help other women. You know, and at this point, I was like, I will clean toilets. I will sweep floors. I just want to help. You know, I just want to be a part of this. And I thought I'd forgiven myself. I knew God had forgiven me, but I thought that I had reconciled the forgiveness he gave. But uh, I'll never forget that the the director of the um, pregnancy center I went to, the crisis pregnancy center I went to, she looked at me and she said, I don't want you cleaning toilets. I want you in front of, I want you in front of patients because you've got a story to tell. And I think it's a powerful story, but I'm not going to let you go in front of anybody until you've gotten the right kind of healing. And she said, and I know you think you've gotten healing, but you haven't. And so that's when I went through a post-abortion Bible study with, um, I think it was seven other women and two leaders, all post-abortion women. And we began the process of healing. And it was amazing. It was amazing because for the first time in my life, I realized how angry I was. I realized how fragile I was. I realized how hurt I was. And I realized just how much I had been pushing God out of the scenario. And all he wanted to do was just love me. He wanted to love me and show me that I was still worth loving, not by him, but by others as well, you know. Can you give us a little bit more detail on that coming back to Christ? Fill that picture out for mm -hmm. us. What, what does it look like, friendships, relationships, your own family? Yeah. How did all those dynamics play out? What was your relationships with people like at that point? Yeah, um, I went saw a counselor somebody who I could just talk to in, in, a, in a safe space. And he encouraged me to head back to church. He said, you need to go back to church, even if all you do is just sit. Just be in the presence of the Spirit. Be in the presence of God and just let him talk to you. And so he actually recommended Church of the Apostles, uh, which was just a great place for me to attend because I really felt the Spirit speak to me and love on me the minute I walked in. But in addition to that, he started 
naturally removing people. So I didn't actually have to do the removing. They kind of went away on their own. It was like they saw that Christ was coming back into an important place in my life, and they didn't want to be a part of that. And so it was a lonely time because I had to commit to letting God be first. And I remember once I sat down and prayed to him. I said, listen, I don't want to date anybody. I don't want to be in a romantic relationship with anybody until you're ready, until it's the one, and you get to pick them. And I literally will not seek anybody from a romantic standpoint until you say it's okay. And I told him, I said, God, if that's 40 years in the wilderness, then that's 40 years in the wilderness, and that's okay with me. And that was a really hard surrendering moment because I'd sought the comfort and the attention of men for so long that that was a real, like, surrendering of what I held dear. And that was really freeing for me. I got back together with my parents. Um, We did some restoring of our relationship. I apologized to them. I recognized that there were decisions that I made that hurt them. My abortion wasn't just about me. It hurt them. They suffered. They lost a grandchild that they didn't even know. Uh, They didn't even get the opportunity to be a a part of, you know. There was suffering that I caused, and I needed to make amends for it. But through that, there was so much love that got poured back into me that all my fears of being rejected were completely dissipated. People who I thought would reject me embraced me full on. You know, one of my other fears was that I would never be able to have deep, intimate relationships with other women who I considered godly Christian women. And God just sent me Christian female friend after Christian female friend to say, girl, I love you. You're awesome. You know, and to hear that was so affirming, but it also backed up. Seabree, I'm going to replace. I'm going to replace. And I'm not going to leave you alone with this. Um, And I have been so blessed to have so many friends who have just embraced me in this journey, but not just my abortion journey, but just my my journey as a woman, as a Christian. And that has been um, so rehabilitating, so rehabilitating. It's changed my perspective on the church. It's changed my perspective on abortion. It's changed my perspective on women. And I have found more empowerment in coming back to Christ and surrendering to what he has to say and bringing in Christian fellowship than I have burdens and chains, which is what the world will tell you being a Christian is about. You had a strong desire to – and it took you know nearly 13 years to get there, but you all of a sudden had this burden for those who would be going through or could potentially be going through a similar situation – What does your counseling look like to a lot of these women and girls? Sure. Well, if I can just back up here for a second to say, because the abortion issue is such a hot topic, and rightly so, I mean, we're talking about life and death here, literally, there's been a great emphasis on the baby. And that's hugely important. I'm not diminishing the importance of that. But I feel that in our fight to save the baby, we have lost sight of saving the mother. Because she's dying too. And so when I went through my post-abortion healing process and I learned how to love myself again and those statistics that I've mentioned, you know, uh, it blew my mind. So my desire is to get in a room with a woman who's considering abortion and first of all tell her that she's loved and she's not judged. 
I'm not going to ever approve of her decision to have an abortion, and I'm going to let her know that. But I'm going to let her know that she is loved, period. And then I'm going to ask her to take a breath and to take a moment because what happens is that, like I mentioned before, the world stops turning and you just feel like you have to make instantaneous decisions. But here's the deal. Pregnancy is nine months. First of all, that's nine months of your life. In the scope of our life, that's nothing. So you're talking about nine short months of your life. Puts on pause. Yeah, maybe you have to rearrange some of your life plans, but it's nine months that you just put it on pause for a second. But when you when you kill a child, that's it. You don't get to go back and make a different decision. That's it. It's final. When you have a baby and you go ahead and bring it to term, you have choices. You can parent. You can do an adoption plan. And even within the adoption world, there are so many different options. You can have an open adoption. You can have a completely closed adoption. You can have a hybrid in between of your choosing because you're the mother. And so letting women know that there's more than just the one choice, as I was given in that university clinic, I was given one choice. So I want them to know, hey, first of all, you can just talk. I'll just listen. I'm not going to judge you. Just get it out. And second, let's talk about your options. And then let's analyze your fears. Three-fourths of the women who get abortions, their number one reason for not having the child, for going through with an abortion, is that it's just not the right time and they're afraid what it's going to do to their careers. In my experience, there is no career path (laughs) that is going to be ruined by a nine-month pause, right? No career path. So when I hear that, I just want to be like, okay, well, let's talk through that. So my first goal is to love them. My second goal is to talk through it. And then my third goal is just to get them to slow down. Let's just slow down. Let's pray, even if they're not a Christian, because there's something. We know that there's something supernatural when we invite the Spirit in and we pray. But to a non-believer, when they have someone pray over them, there is something that is just Again, it's supernatural, but there's something that's very, like, calming and soothing and loving. And I think these women just need to know they're loved. Um, You know, I don't like to use scare tactics, but I will share the statistics. I will let them know what they're up against. Some women, uh, they've looked at me with very defiant faces, like, well, I'll take my chances. Okay, as long as you know. Because I don't agree with letting them sugarcoat the verbiage or the decision. I'm not going to let them say, you know, I've chosen to terminate the pregnancy. No, you've chosen to kill your child. Let's just call it what it is. Because if you're going to make this decision, you're not going to fool yourself, at least not on my watch. You need to know what you're doing. And I don't agree with it. I'll never, ever, you know, support you in that decision. You need to know what it is you're doing. I imagine there's two avenues down this counseling track. There is the people who are considering, and then there are those that have already gone through this, Mm -hmm. like yourself, who needed someone to come alongside them and remind them of things. First of all, do you do that type of counseling? And if you do, what does it look like? How does that play out? The first thing I would do is I would send a woman to a professional. And there are several 
organizations out there. There are several Bible studies out there. The one that I did personally, um, I would recommend to anybody, um, Surrendering the Secret by Pat Layton is an amazing program. So that is the first thing I would do is, is I would really encourage and send them to seek professional help. But that being said, I want any woman who is post-abortive to know that one, there's nothing they can say that's going to scare me. There's nothing they can say that's going to make me turn away or hate them or judge them. Because at this point, I've heard a lot. We're desperate for somebody to hear our story and to know that it's going to be okay and that there is light at the end of the tunnel and they don't have to be quiet about it. In the weeks after my abortion, I was paranoid. I was paranoid that people could just see it on my face, right? And, and I've known women who have, who have suffered in silence for 30 years. I mean, that's the majority of their life. They've suffered in silence and shame and guilt. And think about all the life choices that they made based on that. And think of all the life choices that they might have made different if they had had the opportunity to get counseling or to talk with somebody or to find that there was forgiveness for themselves. I just want to end that for them. I don't want there to be another woman that spends another day living locked up in guilt and shame and not feeling like she has an avenue to say, this is what I did and this is what I want to be free of. Somebody please hear my story and help me, help me get out of it. Having thought through all of these things, is there one, two, three things that you want people who are listening to this, listening to your story, to walk away with? Yeah. Um, so I was journaling this morning. Um, what I want people to walk away with, you can't be unpregnant. And I think that's what the world will tell you. An abortion counselor will say, we're going to take care of this and you'll go on as this never happened. And that's just simply not true. You can't be unpregnant. You can be pregnant and then you can be post-pregnancy, but you're never going to be unpregnant. I think the other thing is that for any woman contemplating abortion or post-abortion, you're a mother. Because right now, you are carrying a child or you carried a child. You are a mother. You wouldn't ever hear a woman who miscarried pretend like the baby never existed, right? They, they go through a mourning process. Any, any woman who's miscarried has said, I'm going to mourn this baby, right? Abortive people need to know that they can mourn their baby, that they can give dignity and um, even name their child. I think intuitively we as women, we kind of know what the sex of the baby is going to be. And I think it's okay. I think it's good for them to say, I'm going to mourn you. And I'm going to give you dignity to your life, even though you were never given the chance and I didn't give you the chance to have that life. I'm going to give you the dignity of a memorial and a remembrance. I think that the other thing I would really want anyone listening, and, and that's man or woman, the world is telling us lies. They are taking the truth and they are twisting it into lies and they're selling it with big pink and blue ribbons. It's all lies. I hear celebrities praising their choices so that their careers could be advanced. And it makes me just devastated. I hear people thanking their mothers for having abortions so that they had a better opportunity at life because the resources weren't divided between siblings. 
I hear these stories and my heart breaks because they're just trapped in lies. And the world is selling you lies. And Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you're not going to find any truth in what the world has to tell you. And I don't care what governor says it's okay. We all know what we're doing when we have abortions. So men, if you get your wife or your girlfriend pregnant and you're contemplating abortion, first of all, you got to own your responsibility in that. You have a voice in this decision too. Women, take a breath. You don't have to make a rash decision. There are thousands of couples out there who would love to have a baby that can't. I'd want people to understand and know there are better choices out there. There are different choices, and we have to change the narrative. We have to. Would you pray for us? Would you pray for, for everyone that's listening, for, for even for those that aren't listening that are, that are facing these situations? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Dear Father, oh, Lord, thank you so much for platforms like this that allow us, Father God, to reach those who are struggling in silence and don't know what to do or where to go or how to deal with their present situations. Father God, thank you so much for your love that just pours out of programs like this. Lord Jesus, I don't know who is going to hear this podcast. I don't know who is needing to hear it or is going to be touched by it. But Father God, I pray that you would please touch their hearts with truth and with love and grace and let them know that they don't have to do what the world tells them is okay to do and they don't have to continue making the choices that they're making. Father God, I ask that you would please empower them with courage and let them know they're not alone. And that is what the lies of this world and of the enemy will tell them is that they're alone and they can't talk to anybody or tell anybody, but that is simply not true. There are so many people who sit with them and have either gone through it or are going through it, and they do not have to do it alone. So, Father God, I just ask that you would please um, free them from that isolation and those lies. Father God, I pray that if any any woman is contemplating an abortion, that you would please um, help her to go seek the counsel. There are crisis pregnancy centers all over uh, the state of Georgia and all over the nation with women who are willing and ready to help. And so, Father God, I pray that you would send them uh, to those pregnancy centers where they can get the help they need. Father God, I also pray that any woman who is suffering in silence and thinks that it is hers uh, to bear by herself, Lord God, show her that she does not have to sit in silence anymore. She doesn't have to keep her secret to herself and that she can be free and she can live a life of freedom and joy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you are continuing to do in my life and the freedom that you have given me, the life you have given me, and how you have blessed my story, Lord. And I just pray that you would reach out and bless others in a similar way. I love you, Lord God, and it is in your Son's most holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are so thankful for Bree's willingness and courage on Candid Conversations today. The Lord has brought healing and redemption to Bree's life. Though prepared to live a single life, God provided far better than she could have imagined. 
She met and married her husband Kendall in 2011, a man who loves the Lord and Bree fiercely and has walked with Bree through her healing process. Although she is one of the 30% of women who has suffered from infertility after having an abortion, Bree and Kendall have experienced the blessing of God's loving and redemptive response to brokenness through adoption. In October 2016, they adopted a precious baby girl. God has truly brought beauty from ashes. My prayer is that Bree's testimony and personal ministry will be effective and will result in the saving of many lives. Please check the show notes if you are interested in counseling related to this episode. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend, leave a review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. By subscribing, you make sure you never miss an episode. It's delivered to you as soon as we release it. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check our show notes for more resources. Thank you for listening and for sharing this episode.